You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. So you guys are in an awesome God series as we are in many different churches all over the world. Um, as he mentioned earlier, I'm a part of uh, our Every Nation office, um, our global office, where if you didn't know, we, we have churches in, in over 70 nations. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have spiritual family uh, here, as Adrian said earlier, uh, in Augusta. So uh, I want to read a couple quotes that I found as I started to study this concept of peace in Scripture, and um, uh, this kind of, it's a complex idea, especially considering uh, the times that we're living in. And here are just a few authors, um, notable people, the first being Norman Vincent Peale. How many people know who that is? All right, some of the old schoolers in the room. He wrote a book um, called The Power of Positive Thinking, and he says this, he says, the life of inner peace being harmonious and without stress is the easiest type of existence. Wow. That's a refreshing thought, right? Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, another notable writer, he says this, Nobody can bring you peace but yourself. Hmm. Nobody can bring you peace but yourself. Wow. Okay. Uh, Mother Teresa says, peace begins with a smile. Just go ahead and smile and just see what happens. Does peace just flow into your soul as you smile? John Lennon, you may be familiar with this song. He says, imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. John Lennon of the Beatles. Uh, Congressman John Lewis. Not one of us can rest, be happy, be at home, be at peace with ourselves until we end hatred and division. Wow, what a powerful statement. Provoking, right? Hits you in your gut, makes you want to rise to the occasion. But a tall order, we're being honest. Uh, Former President Ronald Reagan said, peace is not absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. And these are all interesting statements and provoking statements from notable people, but the Bible presents peace as a completely different, wholly unique idea. Uh, The word peace shows up in two forms, one in the Old Testament as shalom, which you've probably heard. Um, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it shows up as the word erene. And, and, and what it does is, is this word has this, this, this packed meaning, this, this robust meaning. And basically, it's the idea of completeness or wholeness, things being fully put together and restored. But it's not just that. It's, it, when you look at it in Scripture, in the context of Scripture, it's really this idea of complexity being brought to completeness. Complexity being brought to completeness. And what we're going to look at is a very complex character in a very complex narrative. 
And I want to set the tone before we actually read the scripture. So one of the things as we approach the book of Judges, which is where we're going to be, Judges chapter 6, is that Judges is um, a book which really describes the time period between Joshua, the leader Joshua, and Samuel. Okay, and this was a unique spiritual time in the life of Israel because this marks the period where they have been delivered out of Egypt and have entered into the promised land. And things went pretty well uh, under Joshua's leadership. And you can read about that in the book of Joshua. And there was lots of blessing and prosperity and, and, and peace. But there was still this sense of rebelliousness in the people. And when Joshua dies, it seems to all fall apart. And this is where we get to chapter 6, where things are kind of reaching a fever pitch. And what most people do when they get into crisis is they cry out to God. Um, I wish it would be a little different, but that's what we do. And the people of Israel find themselves in an unbelievably tense and tumultuous situation, and they're crying out to God. And this story is unique because typically when the people would cry out to God, um, God would swoop in with this incredible rescue. But this time, instead of rescue, they got rebuke. He sends an unnamed prophet to recount to them his works on their behalf. And he says essentially this, and I'm paraphrasing, but you were in Egypt as slaves in captivity. I brought you out by my miraculous power and hand. And after you came out, I settled you in the place flowing with milk and honey, a place of blessing in the promised land, and you disobeyed. And here you are. And he lets that sink in for a minute before we get to verse 11, where he starts with this person who's considered one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history, one of the greatest judges, Gideon. You might be familiar with this story. Let's read verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Don't, uh, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I've found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. 
Please do not part, depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present or offering and set it before you. And he said, I'll stay. I'm going to paraphrase this part. He goes and he prepares a meal and this offering and brings it back. And, and here's what happens as we jump down into verse 22. It says, then Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord because the angel reached out his staff and basically zapped the food that he made, and it disappeared. And now he knows he's not just speaking to a person, but someone who is supernatural. But the Lord says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Well, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night, And here we're introduced to Gideon's struggle. And the struggle's real. Um, just before this, they've experienced seven years of agonizing physical, emotional, and economic turmoil and oppression from the Midianites. They stole and or destroyed, the Midianites, everything that Israel tried to develop. Everything. Whatever seemed to be promised by God, it was taken by these people. Things were so oppressive, as a matter of fact, that Gideon had to hide in a wine press. And a wine press was kind of this hewn area where they would put in the grapes and you go and crush them and then they bring them out. You know, the place where you thresh wheat was a more open place where you would take the wheat and, and hit it and the chafe would go away in the wind and then you would collect the grain that was left over and bring it in. And so he's hiding just to hold on to the little bit of wheat that he collects because of how the Midianites are oppressing the people. How can you be peaceful in a situation like that? How can you be peaceful or experience peace in a situation where it feels like you are under the thumb of your enemies and all hell is breaking loose around you? And you can hear it expressed in the angst of Gideon's soul, you, you, you hear the negative self-talk. You know, what is this? I'm the weakest person from the weakest clan, from the most oppressed people. What can I do? Do you find it difficult sometimes to avoid negative self-talk? I know I do sometimes. I, you know, told the last service I left my coat here during the... Uh, the wedding day, and so I spent the next two days out in 30-degree weather with no coat on, just walking in the streets, just cold, cursing myself, big 
dummy. All you had to do is just remember to get your coat. Now you out here in these streets, freezing, teeth chattering. You ever do that? Leave your keys somewhere? You idiot. What the heck? Get your key. Now, now you're late. Now you're late for your meeting, you big dummy. Negative self-talk. Do you find it difficult believing that good things will happen like Gideon? If the Lord is with us, why are all these bad things happening? He made all these promises. Where are you at? Delivered us from Egypt and all that. Where is he as we get crushed by our enemies? Have you been marginalized? Have you been overlooked? Have you been forgotten like Gideon? He says, the Lord has forsaken us and given us over. Given us over. And here's, here's a key. So as we hear him express this angst, what we realize, and maybe you're starting to identify this, you know, for yourself, is that we're constantly changing our minds about ourselves. One day we wake up and feel like we're on top of the world, and the next day we wake up cursing ourselves because of the things that go on around us and in our own souls. But one thing is constant. Though we might change our idea of ourselves, God does not change his mind. And God continues to speak blessing even in the midst of Gideon's own cursing of himself. And what he shows us is that he can take our incredibly complex lives and bring them into completion. That there is shalom for our troubled souls. But then Gideon finds peace, right? He finds peace beneath this terebinth tree in uh, verses 20 through, uh, 22 through 24. And so he discovers that the Lord is peace. I'll just read this real quick. Then Gideon perceived that he was uh, the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. So he discovered that the Lord isn't bringing peace. The Lord doesn't have peace. The Lord doesn't help me be peaceful. The Lord is peace. So in discovering, I like that amen that came from the back. That, I, that sounded like that was behind the curtain. I receive those mysterious amens. But please, whoever that is, bless me. Thank you. In discovering the Lord is peace, Gideon didn't just immediately become this peace-filled, faith-filled, on-fire leader in one moment. Really, his eyes were opened, and then he was started on a journey. And we know this because later in the story it says he was still fearful as he went to obey God. So lest we think that one day we wake up and, oh, peace just hit me like a storm. And everything is now changed. 
And Gideon realized that this peace didn't come from, you know, these experiences under this tree or it didn't come from the angel. The peace didn't even come from the tearing down of the idols. Peace came from God. The Lord is peace. See, I need that. Okay, we keep bringing it. When we try to figure out peace on our own, we realize we're completely void of resources to do it. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to just sit in your room and be like, I'm just going to take three deep breaths, and after these three deep breaths, y'all wait and see how much peace I come out with. I'm going to get that app, that meditation app. You know, y'all, in 2020, meditation and quietness apps grew 60%. I'm not lying to you. Because, man, if I could just put these headphones in and get some water playing, (laughs) and some white noise, and that kind of transcendental music, and, man, take my seven deep breaths and let somebody whisper in my ear, y'all, the peace... Y'all wait and see how this piece hit me. But it's not that. The Lord is peace. So here's the thing. So Gideon comes to this sense of awareness of shalom, right? And he's wrestling with that for himself. And, um, but here's the thing. He comes into a worship crisis. And, and, and his trouble's not over because actually God is, in a sense, making more problems for him because now there's two altars. See, let's go back to the text for a second. It says in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull, so take your father's stuff. That's not your stuff, your father's stuff. Take your father's bull and, and pull down the altar of Baal that's your father's. And cut it down, cut down the Asherah, which was a pole. It was kind of this, you know, other sacred instrument of worship and about fertility and all these other things that was going on. And so, you know, they had these things. Here's what happened. Yahweh, the worship of Yahweh was kind of in the past. We're now into idol worship now. We've got Baal to to, to worship. We've got Asherah here to, to, to protect us and bring all these things into order. But now you've got two altars, the one that represents the Lord is peace and the other that represents this foreign God. And God does not share places of worship. He says one of these has to go. But man, I got to, this, this is my father's stuff. You want me to take my father's bull and kill it? You want me to take my father's bull and tear this thing down? He, he built that. He put that up. <laughs> I didn't put that up. That's not mine. This bull's not mine. That idol's not mine. It's, it's, it's part of our village. It's a part of our family. It's a part of the tradition of who we are. You want me to tear that down? Yeah, because I don't share. And so the unique detail here is that God makes his promise of peace, but then he follows it with call for sacrifice, which sounds eerily familiar. He makes a promise of peace, but then he follows it up with a call for sacrifice. You know, Jesus, if we you know, move over and we see him sitting with his disciples before he goes to the cross, and 
he's talking to his disciples, but he's also addressing a whole world filled with Gideons. People who feel oppressed and confused and cursed and lost and belittled and incapable and small. And in the midst of all their crushing complexities, he speaks a word of completeness. And he says in John 14, verses 27, verse 27, he says, Shalom or Erene, peace I leave with you. My shalom or erene, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These words sound familiar. They have a familiar ring to this Old Testament story. But the promise of peace is followed by a sacrifice. You know, we're going to look at this terebinth, you know, and I'm about to get myself in trouble with our theologians and our archaeologists and biblical historians because I know they're all over the room. Um, the terebinth tree was among the most large and widespread trees in the ancient Near Eastern world, particularly in the Israel area, Okay. And the biblical name for them was Elah, which means strong and sturdy. So these were big, strong, these are like oaks, right? They got some girth to them. You can, you can do some stuff with these things. And I have a suspicion. Gideon found peace beneath a terebinth tree. I wonder when the Romans came to occupy ancient Israel and they started to look for wood to do their dirty work. If maybe, just maybe, there was a terebinth that they cut down and fashioned and formed for the excruciating torture of crucifixion. And just like Gideon found peace beneath the terebinth, the disciples found peace beneath the cross. And it's under the tree that we find this peace. It's under the tree, just like Gideon, when he had to wrestle with all these things. We're called beneath the tree of the cross to surrender our idols. It's where we come to grips with our own fears and insecurities and troubles. It's where we hear the call of God and are beckoned to respond to his purpose for our lives. And it's not a formula that we're going to follow. You know, I know we like to read books and blogs and things. Ten steps to the most peaceful 2021. But Paul puts it really simply in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, erene, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, what is complex is brought into completeness. So I don't know about you, but that brings me a sense of joy to know that peace is not going to come from how hard I try in 2021, but peace is going to flow as I purpose myself beneath the tree and I put my faith, the full weight of my confidence and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And it's when I do that, he says, Justin, though your life is complex, 
I will make it complete. Doesn't mean it's going to just magically poof, and there's going to be fairy dust that falls down. It means in the midst of complexities, there will be completeness by faith. So I'm looking at, I'm staring 2021 dead in the eyes. And I was, I was talking about this with Michonne over this weekend. I'm just like, God, help me to not come into 2021 in my own strength. But to come into 2021 with a full sense of hope and expectation that God will make good on every promise that he has made. And that as I trust him, as I lean into those promises, that there will be wholeness, there will be completeness, there will be shalom, there will be peace. So as we turn to God in prayer, I want you to just take a moment. Um, we talked about negative self-talk and we talked about, uh, you know, not having hope for the future and being oppressed and depressed and bombarded and overwhelmed. We talked about all those things. But this is an opportunity, just like Gideon, to bring all of those things that we wrestle with to the foot of the cross, to find peace beneath the tree. And it's waiting there for us. He still extends this invitation. So let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.